Hey, it's Shalacia Harris, your host of Buzzworthy. Join me as I sit down with entrepreneurs to talk about their innovative businesses and their unique stories. Remember to follow us on social at Hamilton Hive on all platforms. And don't forget to rate our podcast. Let's jump into today's story. Hey everyone, we have Enzo Jai here today, co-founder of Log On Vision, who has developed a technology to help first responders save more lives, including theirs. So Enzo, the first question we like to ask our entrepreneurs coming on the podcast is, what set you up to be an entrepreneur? Oh, that's a very good question. And uh, so actually, why we want to be entrepreneurs? And a lot of the reasons I got inspired by my family, like several of my family members are entrepreneurs. Uh, like they basically teach me a lot, like what is kind of entrepreneurial life and mm-hmm. what is what is going on with their life. I can actually like be there and observe what they are doing as entrepreneurs. That's why. Another thing is that if you become entrepreneurs, you have just like Stephen Jobs, you have the ability to change the world make the world better by using, like after become entrepreneur, you have this ability actually to help helping people to, to basically to help people to live better or have better life. Mm-hmm. Because you have the ability to access the financing resources, you have the ability to accessing the, the, the human resources and technology resources to put together a solution to serve better for the communities. So that's, I think there's, there's, there's the two reasons about that because Again, as my as I speak, uh, my family has a history of entrepreneur, and mm-hmm. myself really want to change, like Stephen Jobs, like change the lives of people of the communities. So, would it be fair to say that Steve Jobs is, you know, kind of, you know, a mentor in some way for you, and like a big motivator in terms of how he went about creating all of the technology and how he changed the world? Uh, I would say he was one of the mentor. Mm-hmm. Only one of the mentor. I have several mentors. He was one of the he was one of the mentors. And also that's uh, from there I also want to mention our company name, London Vegan. So that's also kind of related to what Stephen Jobs initially saw about apples. And uh, because apple is a fruit, actually mm-hmm. London is a fruit from oh. Southeast Asia. It's a fruit, and in Southeast Asia, London means dragon eye. So basically, so so our 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 brand is basically like dragon eye vision. Interesting, and so, dragon yeah, that, eyes are supposed to have very clear vision. I mean. yeah, super regions, you know, like can see through stuff, you know, can can penetrate stuff and see pretty long, right? So that's kind of intensive we have here, like it's kind of. Looking at apple, we using fruit. We also we we also looking for fruit that can representing ourselves, and then we found this fruit actually can representing ourselves. Wow, that's so interesting. I love getting to know the names behind the companies. And that's actually one of the questions I had for you because I was just like, is this maybe your name or someone else's name that you're using? Maybe it's the name of the technology, but it's really interesting to know that this is a fruit. Um, We're definitely going to Google this and Mm. put the image of the fruit up so our listeners can um, take a look at it. Have you ever had the fruit before? Tell Uh, us what it tastes like. I mean, it's pretty like like lychee. 
Okay, lovely so cheese. Of, yes, it's like a, a, a kind of lychee, I would say, from like from a bio term. Again, I'm not mm-hmm. bi- biologist, I don't know, but from Wikipedia, it's basically a branch of lychee. Hmm. Okay. I think I might have to try this because lychees are one of my favorite fruits. Ah. Um, and every time I get bubble tea, it's definitely, you know, whatever I'm getting with like lychee jelly, love the flavor. Yeah. Yeah. But That's pretty sweet. It's a sweet fruit. Yeah. But back to like more important things like long gun vision that you've developed. How did you come about creating this company and what was the idea around it and where did it start? Sure. Yeah, definitely. We have a basically a long story behind that. Not that quite long. So basically it's kind of related to my background of my research and in the McMaster University. I did my bachelor and the uh, I did my bachelor's and master's in McMaster's. So one of my research topic is uh, head-up display or AR technologies uh, for vehicle applications. Basically, when you see a high-end vehicle, for example, CD or BMWs, you can see this head-up display uh, project on the windshield. So one of my research topic was developing such system for a portable uh, UI that can mount on the car without the car manufacturer per install on system. So that's actually one of my research topic. And also like I'm pretty like I'm the guy, I'm the, I'm the person really like working with highlights with AR, AR stuff, because you can see whole graph information. So mm-hmm. back to the back to that, I have a lot of study regarding optical designs and highlights playing like uh, human interactions with highlights system and obviously and then back to optical design again because highlights the majority was regarding optical design. Mm-hmm. So also my another co-founder, and uh, he was working on thermal imaging camera for autonomous driving vehicles. So while his research actually using thermal cameras to replace lidar or RGB neural light cameras to actually getting information for assisting the autonomous driving vehicle to make decisions, right? So, so the one, one reason why the thermal cameras is superior than lidars and uh, and and RGB or normal light cameras, you can basically think of operating in the day, night, smoke, mm-hmm. or like foggy or rain environment. Of the the lidar or RGB camera couldn't operate okay. in smoke or like night environment or like smoke environment or foggy environment. So, but mm-hmm. thermal camera can do all of that. So he has a lot of background regarding thermal cameras, how it actually using autonomous driving vehicles, how you adapt in the, how you adapt uh, for, for sensor fusions. So kind of, we are, we, we are working the same laboratories uh, in, in the mark, the, just across the building, the mark, like master, I forgot the full name of that. <laughs> You are spending six years there. Anyway. That's um, right. I don't yeah. think I know either. Yeah, it's called McMaster Autonomous Research Lab. Okay, I, I got it. There you go. So so that's we work in the same lab. So one day we try we are always sitting together and try to figure out like basically we always like sitting together, sometimes have a bunch of dinner together, see like with all the lab people, seeing what we can do with our technology in the futures. So one idea that came out is how we combine. Uh, high level speed technology, AR technologies with mm-hmm. the thermal camera, infrared cameras uh, to find the use cases for that. And uh, because back to the days, we saw the Google have Google Glass and mm-hmm. uh, Microsoft has Microsoft HoloLens. 
But what we saw here is that uh, we are we are we are only using the normal light camera, but not infrared thermal cameras. And um, so basically, that's how we get started, right? Like we have two technologies. We are specialized in two technology. We try to combine them together, and then we try to find the use cases for that. So basically, initially we have these ideas, and then after that, we kind of propose to the forge. Uh, our accelerators at the McMaster to, to mm -hmm. see what kind of use cases we can do with our technologies, with our specialties. And after that, basically Forge gave us a whole, like I would say like more like MBA lectures, um, like mini like mini MBA lectures all actually adapting like transfer from technology, technology. to commercialization. Mm -hmm. And then like we like do a lot of interviews with, with different sectors. So when, once you remember that Forge helped us basically set up interviews with uh, actually the SWAT team, the police SWAT team, uh, especially what is the, the, the SWAT teams and the fire departments, and mm -hmm. also some manufacturing production line, local manufacturing production line to see which area has, has the most problem that we can solve with our technologies. Yeah. Uh, yes, that's basically how we, how we, like, how we, the story how we get started and how you came together that's i think it's always really interesting to see technologies cross over different sectors and and find those use cases especially because you brought two independent technologies together um sort of that that visual aspect from um the cameras and the the vr that you were using and then the other aspect of it which I'm sorry, what do you call the, the other aspect that you had? Basically, uh, you kind of... It's a projection. Aspect. It's a projection. Yeah, so yeah. Space is not the VR, it's the AR. It's more like it's a full AR. graphic. Yes, it's okay. a full graphic. Gotcha. This is true display technology. Mm, okay, so bringing those two technologies together um, makes it makes it gives a whole lot of opportunity for you to create something new. And I, and I love that you took advantage of resources that the university had and offered because a lot of people aren't necessarily aware of those resources. And the Forge itself is fantastic. I mean, I'm a part of the Forge. My company is a client at the Forge as well, which not only caters to um, McMaster students or alumni with companies, but also the community who have innovative ideas and are looking to commercialize an idea. But like you said, they were a great stepping stone to come and help you understand how you how your unique technology coming from a different sector can actually solve real problems in the world. And that customer discovery aspect of it becomes a really big challenge for a lot of companies and a lot of startups, because you're really a business when you're solving a problem for someone in a meaningful way. And we know you have something cool here and the Forge was able to connect you with, you know, community partners and different industry experts to say, okay, this can potentially happen. This can actually be commercialized. So take us through how you decided to land on first responders going through that interview process. Yeah, that's actually a, it's a pretty uh, that's basically we spent three months doing customer discoveries, and uh, that's I would say there's a lot of help from Forge. Uh, basically, we sitting down 
by uh, weekly to to figure out the feedback from customers. So initially, uh, we are actually targeting industrial markets, uh, in, in industrial sectors, basically manufacturing assembly line. Um, mm-hmm. That's actually what initially we're targeting at because, like for example, we need using like you know, infrared camera or thermal camera doing inspections of some of the component. And uh, initially, we did set up meetings uh, with the local based manufacturing line where obviously India couldn't mention their name. <laughs> and um, we see a large assembly line. But after we figured out is that uh, they are not the right person required such technology right now. Mm-hmm. We are more looking for management like software stuff or like or management tool for them. Okay. It's not they are not looking for AR or like someone for a camera. So that's not their that's not their sweet spot. Mm-hmm. So and then like Forge basically like kind of set up meeting with us and discuss ask us why guess you sh- why not you guys try to target in like first wonder sectors such as police and firefighters. Mm. So I saw yeah, we, we can we can have a try. I see how things goes, right? Like we can have a try to explore that sectors. But then with how we forge and we have set up the meetings with uh, police departments and also like the police department and fire fire departments and uh, try to find out what's a, is there a, a use case for them mm-hmm. uh, in that areas. So after talking with them, we figured out is that uh, police have their own toys, their night vision system already so they don't yeah. they, they don't they are not they are not the, the time requires such technologies and uh, but for firefighters uh they don't have such technology available in their toolbox and mm-hmm. i still remember the fire chief told us that if you can bring this into like real life this can be revolutionary in the in, in the firefighter in the firefighting sectors and the search yeah. and rescue sectors because currently they didn't they have nothing in their toolbox and help them to, to, to work better, increase their efficiencies. So mm-hmm. in police, you have this fancy navigation tool you can mount on their helmet. For firefighters, nothing. The only thing they have here is a handhold thermal oh, imaging camera. Yeah. They have to hold this camera to see stuff, mm-hmm. which is, again, the camera's very huge cameras. When it's more like your, what I can describe is more like in the night, you have these big giant video cameras, that kind of yeah. device is what you're expecting. The ones your parents uh, took on vacation exactly. with you and recorded exactly. everything. <laughs> exactly, it's huge cameras. And uh, again, what we also saw, there's not too many innovations in hiking in the firefighter sectors. So as, as the fire chief told us, basically, you are, the device we are creating is kind of revolutionary in, in the firefighting sectors and actually can help people save more life and save, and also help them help themselves to get out of buildings quickly. And, and yeah. save their life as well. So that's why we, after we we getting the feedback from those like those interesting parties, we brought back to Forge. Mm-hmm. Basically, Forge told basically told us that you we get we should focus on the firefighter sectors at first places because again, it is it is like not that military life sector; it's the civilian sectors. So again, the regulations will be easier on on the military side. So yeah. There's another reason behind that. It's actually um, how we actually like on regulation side or like uh, on the uh, technology classification side, the firefighter sector is much easier to, to adopt for the market. Mm-hmm. We can not only only targeting in North American, we can also target the entire global because again, 
this is fire factor. This is saving yeah. saving people lives. It's not like, like, like other devices. Mm-hmm. Whereas you know something like policing, like you said, has a lot more red tape, a lot more restrictions because it's more. It can be used as more of a surveillance. Even though you know police officers will end up in situations where fires and they need technology like this, but this isn't you know a core issue for them. They have many other challenges that will rise above something like this, where this is you know. A hundred percent of what firefighters do, and even carrying a big camera in the middle of a burning building, um, that's not necessarily safe because you know you need two feet on the ground that are solid to make sure you're safe. Because if you're injured, then how can you save someone else? And I think the need um, is really clear with, you know, choosing the right audience. And you obviously went through a couple different iterations in different industries to find the right fit. I guess they say it's product to market fit. Um, you found that. And and what what changed with the product when you found that? Were you easily able to take the technology as you saw it and just adapt it rather quickly for firefighters? Or did you have to make some changes to ensure that the fit was more aligned? Yeah, of course. Um, that's actually another long journey for us. And um, this technology is not that easy to develop. Again, it's a hardware technology, it's a piece of hardware. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Initially, what the first problem we are facing will be how we fit our technology into the firefighter helmet. That's the first thing, right? because there's there's like different type of firefighter helmet on the market. We have to find the find, find the middle way to fit on most of firefighter helmets. Mm-hmm. Another thing we had to figure out was the the heat and water resistance. Again. It's not like your normal Google Glass, Microsoft HoloLens using indoor work. There's no like high temperature environment. They still have to be operating in. You know, we are talking about 100 degrees Celsius environment, or even more than that. So how we make these things like heat resistance and also water resistance? Because again, you have to spread water all over places. Like if there's not water yeah. resistance, you can't. You have that things also. It's, again, it's, it's a it's a very hard topic to to. There's, we have definitely a lot of iteration of design. Currently, we already have six iteration of design already mm-hmm. to basically come off the prototype, testing it, found failures, and go back to again on drawing, drawing tables and improve the design a little bit. And, and also another, another problem we are facing was the heat, heat, the, the heat generated from our component ourselves. Yeah. Another issue is that because the environment is actually hotter the inside, then you cannot actually distribute heat outside. Yeah. There's a heat transfer, though it's like a high temperature like object will be always flow to the low temperature object. So mm-hmm. that's another problem we are facing. We cannot just have a have a heat thing and distribute the heat into the environment. Because that's because heat will actually come inside to our to our internal housing. So that's another another another, another uh, problem we, we we are we are solving right now. So again, there's a lot of technology behind that. And also the last thing I forgot to mention was the weight. Because you add additional weight to our helmet, to their helmet, how actually make them comfortable for adding yeah. those additional weight, how you make the weight balance. So that's, as you can see, our design. So our system actually have two pieces, front and back, actually mm-hmm. balancing the system to have a center gravity 
in the centers of the helmet instead of like held front or total back. So again, there's there's uh, there's a lot of maturation um, of design and custom discovery and testing going on for, for our, our, our system design. Yes. That's amazing. I know you've done um, some tests with some fire departments um, already. Um, what was one of, I believe you did one in Japan, didn't you? Yes. Yes, tell, us, tell us about that and tell us about taking your technology from, you know, Hamilton and Canada <laughs> all the way to all the way to the east. Yeah. So actually we have um, at least in the past few years, we have a lot of traction in, in Asia areas, including Japan, Thailand, Korea, and now Singapore was, was also on, on our radar right now. So Japan was very interesting. And uh, and because uh, currently we are working with one of the largest fire truck manufacturing company called Morita mm-hmm. Fire Truck. They are one of the largest fire truck companies. And uh, what the re- our revision has been done through one of our investors, and he was uh, he he he's from Japan. So we, from him we got the Morita is kind of also looking for such technologies because seem to be all the firefighters around the world facing the same problem. They don't have a they don't have this hand-free thermal camera tool in their toolbox. Yeah. They are all desperately require such tool. And uh, we saw police have their navigation system, like helmet mount navigation system, but there's nothing mm-hmm. for, for, for firefighters. So that's why we got approached by the, the Morita fire truck. And mm-hmm. uh, we did demonstration with them virtually, initially, and we really like the things. And uh, we, we actually, like, we, we want to get, get more of our prototype. And we basically ship more prototypes to Japan, and we then we start playing around our prototypes, local fire departments, and uh, that's actually how we get started with, with Japan. And uh, yeah, so we, we are planning to go back to with, with, uh, the the COVID situation make it difficult to travel to Japan because yeah. again we restrict quarantine room, but seem to be in a kind of lifting off to quarantine for mm-hmm. actually, and end of this month. So we are actually trying to find a trip next uh, this year or. End of the probably next year to actually be there and uh, doing tests with them together with their local fire departments. That's amazing. What do you think um, makes the Asian market more interested in this technology than, you know, Asia, Africa, US, or South America? Um, well, I would say, uh, well, like we can observe, the adoption rate for Asia for new technology was fast. Mm-hmm. Like they are really fast. They are more, uh, I would say, they are more adapted for a high risk environment. Okay. And uh, I know it's also their, uh, I would say their, uh, how can I describe these things? Is like they're from their garment levels, they're also moving fast. Mm-hmm. If we see this technology, we just want to adopt it right away. Yeah. And in North America, there's a long process going on to, to adapt to new technology. You can do pilot, no problem, but adapting to technology will still take some time. And, uh, but, but again, well, same thing will happen in Asia, I think so. Well, we haven't reached that point yet, but again, like the adoption rate in Asia, what we have, have observed was, uh, uh, I would say, uh, just a little bit faster in North America. Just a little, okay. not that much. Just not that much faster. Maybe just maybe just our our case. Basically, the people we dealing with are faster. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Do you think the timing? Um, when we think of all the wildfires that are happening, um, both on you know 
the West Coast and in Australia and um, in Europe this summer. Do you think that's further motivation for fire departments and, you know, these government agency and first first defense um, organizations to kind of take on this technology to help them do their jobs better in these spaces? Has that has that impacted or helped accelerate um, the process of adoption? Yeah, I think so. And uh, there's actually from two sectors, two spectra, two areas mm-hmm. to talk about that. The first area, the first was on detections. So we are more on uh, when the fire has already happened, we are actually very less attacking the fire. So I saw actually a lot of com- lot of um, like uh, organizations has adopted uh, a camera detection method for well on fires. For example, we can mount the cameras on uh, radio towers or uh, uh, electric towers to okay. actually detect welfare first, have an early warning. That's, I saw there's like a lot of companies doing that in the field right now to, to get. It's more like a software says not too much involving hardware because it's just mount the camera and then this is the software doing all the background studies. Mm-hmm. So I saw there's a lot of companies doing that right in the field right, right now to do the early detections. Yeah. And for our technology, more we are more on the when you actually detect the fire or the fire already started. So we our technology basically for for those first responder and the firefighter to actually wear our devices to put down these fires to extinguish this fire like, on the field. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely what we saw against and uh, again I saw as just to summarize, I saw the detection, the early detection uh, technologies has start growing rapidly faster yeah. in the in, in, in these sectors already. Yeah, and where your technology comes in um, a little bit more is kind of like boots on the ground, the fire is really blazing, you're in this really tough and dangerous situation, and you need to navigate it as safely as possible. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, amazing. So where do you see... I know we talked about some of the challenges in terms of manufacturing materials and all of that. Coming from, you know, just doing your master's program and having to learn all of these different new things in order to commercialize um, a product that's new to the world like this, what what are some of the learnings that you took out of that and what did you find most challenging well, in commercializing? It's, it's just uh, bringing it harder to real life is so hard. <laughs> it's, it's very extremely hard. It's not a software company. You already mm-hmm. have software built just like actually like working on basically on software you can control yourself on the pace yeah. of development. But hardware is not. There's a whole supply chain issue behind you. After you design everything on a computer, bring to real life is it's another problem. How you can like as you know, like as right now, the, the, the logistic and the, the it's very slow, and also we have yeah. chip shortages everywhere. Component shortage everywhere is extremely difficult. And uh, and also not, another thing that for us we have we have been learned, especially for hardware companies, is the cost of trend errors. Mm-hmm. That's what's what's costly because again, for us we have a lot of iteration of design. We did a lot of trend errors, but yeah. again. Each trial and arrows will cost you a lot of money. Yes. Because you have to, it's not like build a software, you can just 
to start time. Change right? the code. Yeah, this Ch- is high investment, lots of people involved in it. You have to, yeah, a lot of people involved. You have to actually like build the real stuff, actually pay for supplier to build stuff for you to build mm-hmm. basically like we can't build housing for ourselves. We have to ask for build housing to build PCB, PCB board. And uh, each, all of them is cost money. Yeah. And uh, if you make a mistake, this, you're, you're looking at hundreds of dollars of, of waste of money or hundreds of, I would say, like, for our case, we call itself hundreds of thousand dollars of tuition fee we pay <laughs> for, for, for educating ourselves to not miss that, to, 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 to not actually make that mistake again. Yeah, you want to keep, you definitely want to keep your, your cost of mistakes, like you said, as, as low as possible. Exactly. And how do you, how do you put like processes and procedures in place to make sure that when you do make a decision, you're reducing as much risk as possible, especially in this startup phase, because you want to work relatively fast and you also want to work smart and you also want to keep your costs down but you know when it comes to you know do you want something fast high quality and you know great which which ones do you choose in like a short period of time mm, again this is uh, a short period of time so it's going to like high quality and short short period of time it's not always don't go together happens. don't go together so so what we have learned in, in the past, like in the past couple of years, there's actually like I would say, initially we want to do something fast to have mm-hmm. more variant as possible, uh, like have more like different variant as, as much as possible to test which one actually fit our use cases, which one work, which one doesn't work. So for those one, you don't need to be pretty. You just need to be fast. Well, mm-hmm. I would say like proof of concept stage to test if those components have worked together, if those components have worked together. So when you actually do a lot of tests already, and then you more like become a converge, like seem to be all solutions that come together. Mm-hmm. And suppose after doing several tests, you know this this component will be work with these SC chips and this camera will be work with these PCB boards. So after doing those tests, you know there's like basically your, your solutions become converge. To a one, yeah. one right answer, right? So again, that's how you, how we describe mathematical ways converge. And yeah, but anyway, so so after you reach that point, you actually after doing so many com- uh, proof concept, you know what what is working with, what it doesn't work. Then what we have implementing is actually part of the ISO international ISO standard. Yes, it's something called DFEMA, mm-hmm. and this is is a risk analyzed tool. Basically, we have laying, laying down all the risk. What com- if this component will work with this component? What is risk of the failures? Uh, this is actually help us to de-risk of our final product design to, to make sure that we have captured all the risk uh, in our design phase and uh, make sure we are the risk is tolerable for ourselves. We can actually just we understand the risk and the risk is tolerable and uh, if we think it's horrible, we can keep going with this task. So this is kind, kind of how we design process we have implemented initially where we just we tried multiple things several times to find a, a convert solutions. And then we start our DFEMA method to, to actually like 
basically kind of laying down all the risk possibility and try to find a solution to de-risk them or tolerate the risk on, on the table. Interesting. I mean, those are like managing risk um, is definitely a key component to um, anything, but specifically in what you're doing here, because you're using it to help save lives and you're using it to ensure that you're not spending a ton of money up front um, in developing all of these different variables at one time to get to your final product. And, you know, the product's always going to change and evolve, but get to a product that's going to work really well in the market and, and for the use cases um, that it's being applied to. So, and so going back to you as an entrepreneur itself, um, because I really wanted us to talk about the technology on Longan and how you um and how you and your team was able to develop it, and you've worked for the past four years on this. What have you learned about yourself um, going through this process of being an entrepreneur? Oh, <laughs> that's good questions. And uh, the big things we learned there's it's a license we learned. Actually, the mistake we, we, we have made in the past, how we mm-hmm. how you actually analyze the mistake and try to avoid. And uh, doing the same mistake again. Again, this good entrepreneur. Sometimes we, I have learned, always making decisions. Like kind of, you have to doing a projection and to see if the decision you, if the decision you make will be effective in, like, in the future. And how are you going to be effective in the future? Mm-hmm. Sometimes we we are we are actually even before making decisions, just myself maybe. Making decisions with something. Sometimes I have done was kind of decision tree. You basically will make a decision. You have to weigh down all the possibility outcome from decision, long term and short term. Yeah. Initially, we didn't. I have no idea about that. So I just <laughs> I just make short term decisions, and uh, which is turned to be make several mistakes on, on our on our journeys. So sometimes you have to think carefully before making decisions and really think about. What what will be the outcome, short term and long term? Mm-hmm. For example, if some decisions is a short term outcome, but it will be damage your for a long term. So you have to think about that. Are we is, is that turnable, or like this the long term outcome is just so big compared with short term outcome that we should make a decision turn to a short term outcome again. It's case by case. It's, again, it's, I'm still in in the learning process of that again. No one making perfect decisions. To be honest, you can't. You cannot foresee in the future. It's not like you play a exactly. game. You make a decision. You can. You can. You can step. You can step forward. You know, like these decisions made bad and back to your safe file and and remake that decision to have a correct pass. It's not like that. It's, it's, you you can't. Sometimes you couldn't foresee the futures. And uh, again, one thing like one thing really like to to learn is how actually can foresee the futures when you make decisions. Again, mm-hmm. that's more like if, if that's if I really want to superpowers, then I really want to see like, <laughs> how I can foresee the futures. I I think that's such a good a good point to consider. Like when it's I think making good decisions at the beginning, like you said, will 
either helps set you up for, you know, really great long-term success and really trying to understand where you're going with your company, um, which I think is such a great segue into, you know, where is Long Gun Vision going? Um, what's what's next for you guys? What are some of the things that you're working on to take yourselves to the next level? Yeah, so um, for ourselves, we are like our goal is to actually try to combine uh, AR technology, holographic technologies, um, to basically help people's life, increase their efficiency, basically. And that's actually behind the key, basically, kind of the history of the high-dap display technologies. So the high-dap the high display technology naturally was introduced in the airplanes for jet, for, for you know, just, um, jet aircraft, right? Like, for their mm-hmm. for their high spaces. The the one thing that high spaces offering was the efficiencies of information already in front of you. So this is actually directly to the first founders and some people that request immediate information in front of you, where you need to make immediate like immediate decision. It's a time sensitive decision still in the scenery or in, in, in the situations. So that's why this is where the highlight is put and AR technology will help you on that. Mm-hmm. So another thing we are looking at right now was Firefighter was, again, it's kind of our initial market entry point. And uh, what we also learn uh, other sectors such as uh, actually uh, search and rescues in other sectors, uh, Again, for, for, for those uh, use cases, we do not require like high temperature operations. But yeah. again, if for example, building clubs or typhoon, or you have to search people in the clubs buildings or search mm-hmm. people in underground tunnels, that's also use cases for our, our technologies to be adapt. Because also for them, we need to make, we need to find this person fast. And mm-hmm. they need information in front of you, like right now, immediately, yeah. to make decisions. And uh, that's another sectors. And also, we, we are trying to go back to the to the, to the industrial sectors. So beside assembly line, but we have learned there's other sectors that are interesting in the industrial sector. Uh, other area that interesting in technology was underground mining mm. and oil and pipe gas mine. Because for first we start with underground mining is that we also operate in, in a relative dark environment. Yes. And sometimes uh, we also need these hand-free abilities because sometimes you have to operate in the two using yeah. both at the same time. And we want basically working instruction in front of them without holding that working instructions. Mm. Another thing is that we need that infrared thermal camera to detect gas leakages on the on the underground mining pipelines. So that's actually another thing we learned, like we are trying to toggle on the on industrial sectors. And well, finally, is we also want to down our technology, basically like lower our, basically kind of lower our standard or lower of our, you don't need to fire, but you don't need this high, like high impact proof. Yeah. We want to find it down to consumer market, for example, outdoor activities. For example, if you do hiking or other like extreme sport, right? That's you know, they will be great if you have like some information laying in front of you. And again, that's another future few future, future directions. So currently we are focusing on um, basically a firefighter and search and rescue. 
Next one, we are looking at the industrial, again, back to the industrial application again to penetrate in, in those areas. That's amazing. There, there's so many aspects of, you know, life and careers and different industries that your technology has, you know, the ability to impact. And like you said, that immediate information becomes so crucial, especially in high risk jobs, especially like mining um, and things like that. I've been in a few mines that have closed down just, just for curiosity or even caves, you know, folks that are going through cave systems. Um, your technology is definitely, you know, the right tool for them to do their jobs better, do it safer. And ultimately I think there's that ability to save lives, no matter who is using the technology, whether it's consumers, whether it's industry experts, first line, um, defense um personnel and yep. yeah everyone is there anything you want to share with our audience um on how to get to know a little bit more about long gun vision how they can reach you and how they can stay connected with your story of course yeah so normally our social media platform are linking right we basically post most of the information from linking against professional network we are, we are working on professional like devices Mm-hmm. And um, basically follow our LinkedIn channel, and that will be the great way to receive some basically updates uh, ourselves uh, for from London regions and also Twitter's in our platform we're using. But again, um, LinkedIn is more of a update more oftenly compared with Twitter. And uh, also please also uh, visit our website and uh, to see our product. And uh, yeah, and also you know, also I'm I'm on LinkedIn as well. My main Enzo. Just search my name on Enzo Jia, you can find me on LinkedIn. And um, that's the best way you can reach out to us. Amazing, amazing. Well, thanks so much, Enzo, for taking us through Long Gone Vision, how you got here, how you building this amazing company, and you're helping firefighters and you're helping first responders, um, you know, help save lives, including their own by seeing the unseen. Um, I love that tagline and that just might be the name of this episode. So we'll definitely have all of Enzo's information and long gone vision information in the episode description. So don't, don't hesitate to reach out to him or follow them on LinkedIn, which is their major platform. And thanks for tuning in everyone. Thank you very much. Thanks, Enzo. Take care. A huge thank you to you, our listeners, for tuning in every week to hear about our buzzworthy businesses. Don't forget to rate us on whatever platform you're listening and following us at, at Hamilton Hive on all of the social media platforms. But most importantly, we want to thank our team of dedicated volunteers who make this podcast possible on a weekly basis. So here we go. Cesar Cardenia, Khalid Imam, James Clark, Trisha Ford, Ratri Toon, Hirsch Kumar Patel, Fernando Rodriguez, Yvette R., and yours truly, Shalacia Harris. Don't forget to tune in next Monday for a new episode of Buzzworthy.